Word for today, a ministry of Living Word Lutheran Church in Egan, Minnesota. It is our prayer that the message from God's Holy Word would bring a new and deeper love for Jesus in your life. Welcome to Living Word Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Nathan Olson, and it's a blessing and a joy to come and share God's Word with you today. Here at our church, we believe a few important things about the Word of God. First and foremost, it's that this is not just like any other book you'd find on a shelf, but that this is the inspired and errant Word of God, true from cover to cover. And because of those convictions, we believe, secondly, that it has the power to change and transform our lives. That when God's Word goes forth, that it comes and it convicts our hearts of sin, it points us to our Savior Jesus Christ, and it teaches us what it means to follow after Him. It's our prayer and hope that as you come and engage with God's holy word, that it would have that effect in your heart today. We see in the scriptures that God promises that every single time that the word of God goes forth, it has that effect. Isaiah tells us that just as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return without watering the earth and bringing seed to the sower, bread to the eater, so is his word that goes forth from his mouth. It will not return without accomplishing the purpose which he sent it. And so it's our prayer today that as you hear God's word, he would use it in your life as he promises to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we commit this time to you now. We ask, Lord, that you would come, that you would use your lowly servant here to proclaim a message for your people, that they would hear it, that you would be working in their hearts by your spirit, God, and that um, at the end of this time, they would leave changed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we are finishing up our sermon series on the book of Jude. We've been walking through the book of Jude for the last five weeks together. And it's just kind of a small book sandwiched right there at the end of the New Testament, right before Revelation. You get this one chapter book, 25 verses. And Jude is writing to a largely Jewish community, a Jewish community that had heard of Jesus as the Messiah, were following after him, but that had a couple issues. They had grown complacent and apathetic and uh, have been tempted to maybe follow some of the ways of the world. And so Jude writes to confront that and then to point them back toward uh, a future look at Jesus's coming again. And it's interesting to see how he chooses to end his letter. Uh, Jude ends his letter then prompting the people to, uh, to think about their life and relationship to God and how living life would change or, or what kind of response would be elicited to the existence of God. Uh, every relationship we are in forces us to change something about how we live. And so Jude invites them to that same recognition, that same reality. For example, when you're a child, you live life in relationship to the authority of your parents. You end up doing or not doing things in, in that kind of complex. You know, so you're, you're asking for approval to do things from your parents or you're going kind of in the direction that they go. They're paying for things. They're overseeing things. Uh, you live in that relationship and there's an effect. Uh, when you get married, there, there's a different kind of relationship that you're living life in regards to and also has an effect. You're sharing your house, possessions, schedule with someone else. Uh, all of life, vision, goals, and what the other person do does has a necessary and uh, explicit impact 
on your life. And then just times that again when you have kids. Now all of a sudden both of you are living life in relationship and sharing your schedules with someone else. And, and it kind of goes full circle there. So all, all to say that there are various relationships that we have that change our life. Uh, you, you can't um, live the same way when you have children as you did when you were a bachelor. You can't live the same way when you're married as when you're married and then have kids. There's, they change things a little bit for life. And Jude's point would be that the same thing happens with our relationship with God. But when you think about your relationship with the Lord, it has necessary implications for the way that we live. And as we look at the last two verses of the book of Jude, we see Jude put this kind of in full display. And he does it in the form of a doxology. Now, a doxology might not be a word that you're very familiar with or that you've heard often, but a doxology means a statement of praise. Sometimes there will be a doxology that is sung uh, during a church service or you know, a, a time of praise. Doxology, that's what the, the, the Greek word originally means. And while I realize that this might be unfamiliar territory for some of us, uh, I think that it's worth just noting how Jude closes this letter. And sadly, the reason why this is a little bit unfamiliar or foreign to us, this whole idea of a doxology, is because it's not very common. It's not very common, not only just in churches, but just in our lives. Uh, when we think about how we approach the Lord, uh, we're very uh, used to petitions. You know, asking, Lord, you know, bless this, uh, intercede for this, give this. Uh, help with this. All of those are petitions. We're asking for something. But far less common is our attitude going before God and praising. Uh, Lord, I lift your name up for this. We exalt you for this. We glorify you for this. We stand in awe of who you are. You are a great and awesome God. Uh, the prayers of praise sometimes feel very dwarfed by our petitions. And I'm going to say something that may be a little bit uh, abrasive to some of you, but I, I believe it's true. I think that perhaps part of the reason for our anemic praise, uh, a lack of doxology in the life of the church today, is that we tend to have a very low recognition of God. We tend to have a very low recognition of God. And, and hear me out on this. I want you to understand what I'm saying. A lot of times when I look at American Christian culture, whatever that means, American Christianity, it seems like we come to God with a disposition primarily of the world revolves around me. And God, here's what's going on in my life. Here are my pains, my struggles, my requests. Do you see a theme there? And, and it's not that, don't get me wrong, it's not that God doesn't want us to come and share our life with him. And God invites us to that. He wants us to share our pains, our struggles, our requests, what's going on in our life. But what I have noticed, especially in American Christianity, is that our prayers tend to be very much one-sided, part of that. Instead of having petitions and requests and things about our life being part of our prayer, it often tends 
to be the entire part. The entire discussion ends up being very one-sided. And I do this, friends. I do this. You do this. We all think about life from our perspective. And we have hearts that are very often focused on ourselves. And, and I, I think that Jude invites us to a different heart. He invites us to something different. He, he invites you to a different kind of relationship with him. A recognition of who he is. A recognition of his power. And the reason why I said that perhaps some of this one-sidedness springs from a low recognition of God is because when we are forced to really come face to face with the power of the almighty sovereign king of the universe, God the Lord, all of a sudden we recognize our place before him. All of a sudden the, the concerns and cares of our life really are, are very unimportant. And it's not that we are unimportant, but in the grand scheme of eternity, we recognize that our lives are just, just not even a sliver. They're just a vapor in the wind, it says in, in the poetical books. And so when you think about um, approaching a God who has always been and always will be, and here we're, we're complaining about things like traffic. We're, we're complaining about things like the weather. We're, we complain about things like our, our temporary money. You know, we, we whine and complain uh, about things that in the grand scheme are just so childish, so foolish, so insignificant. Sometimes I think that our prayers would look a lot different if we came before God with a higher recognition of who He is and that this, we're coming before the God who is over all things and oversees all creation and that He is the Sovereign One. And all of a sudden, our Life is lived in a very different way as we come before him with that recognition. Consider what Jude sets forth here. A doxology, a life of praise, a recognition of God and his working. Verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory majesty dominion and authority before all time and now and forever I want you to consider what Jude sets forth here he sets forth a doxology a statement of praise that, that really is reflective of a life of praise, a posture of his heart that's recognizing that despite all of the problems that the Jewish community was dealing with, all of the issues that were, were there, the complacency, etc., and the, the world that was uh, going toward a ungodliness that he writes about, that amidst all of that, the very end of all of, of all of that can be said, there's a recognition of God. And, and maybe we think we do this sometimes, but what does it look like to pause and recognize the greatness of God? To just to really stop and to say, God, you're over everything. You, you, you reign supreme over all, and you know the end of my days from the beginning. You know how many hairs are on my head. You know every thought that I have, God. And to just pause and recognize his 
sovereignty. There's a few truths about God here that Jude sets forth that we got to make sure we don't miss as we think about looking at the doxology here. We see in verse 24 and 25 that God is the one who is able to keep us and preserve us from stumbling. He, he's the one who presents us blameless before him. He's doing a work in us to carry us to the finish line, in other words. We're, we're not able to get there by ourselves. God is, he picks us up, he carries us. He presents us blameless, he preserves us. We see here that he is the only God. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. And the picture that we have here is one who is sovereign over everything. And, and for you kids who are, who are listening, when we think about being sovereign, what we're talking about is somebody who reigns and has dominion over everything. You know? So you have, um, for example, a ruler of a country. Whoever, you know, whether it's a president or a king or whatever, they're in charge of the country. They're sovereign. It's all under their domain. And, and probably even more so in monarchies where you have you know, a king or a queen or etc. They are the head figure. They are the head honcho. And that's the kind of picture that Jude is painting here of God or, or setting forth, recognizing that he is sovereign. He's over everything. He is in control of all things. And I, I want you to think about then that component tied with the fact that he is our Savior, that he presents us blameless, that this sovereign God, this Lord, that he saves you. And when you put those two together, what you recognize very quickly is that God does not come and save you because he has to. He's not somehow obligated to do something for you, he, but he chooses to. He, he, he does, you're not entitled from God, but God comes and he chooses to love you regardless. Right now, Emily and I are in a phase of teaching our kids to say thank you for things. Uh, and you can feel free to help us in that endeavor if you'd like. And it goes like this. Everything that our kids receive is a gift. We want them to start thinking about living life, uh, a life of gratitude. That, that everything that they encounter, everything that they receive is a gift. And so because of that, because of living a life in gratitude, I want them to exp uh, express appreciation. I want them to say thank you to people. That when then people do things, that they wouldn't have a mindset that they're somehow entitled to that, or they, they deserve it in some way, but that they, would, that they would recognize people's benevolence, that they would be appreciative toward those around them. And so whether it's you, know, you helping them getting some you know, coffee or, or cookies or whatever during our fellowship time, or you know, helping them as they get out some coloring pages at church or whatever, that they would be thankful and not treat it in an entitlement type of sense, but in a, in a life of gratitude. And a similar thing, I think, is maybe called for here in our relationship with the Lord. A recognition of, of not obligation. He's not obligated to you. And maybe that's a newsflash, but he's not. He's not obligated to you. You do nothing to deserve him to come and work in your life. He's not obligated to you. And, and sometimes... And again, in American Christian culture, we have this entitlement complex that we need to work through. Like somehow God owes you. 
or, or that, that you are somehow over you know, this sovereign king. But friends, that's totally flipped. And, and maybe you would never say that with your lips. Maybe you would never say, well, yeah, God owes me. But we act that way. We, when we come before him in prayer, we bring some of these petitions and requests almost in this expectant demand of, well, yeah, God, come on, this is your job. I'm presenting my request and you do my thing. And, and that's not how it works, friends. We come before a sovereign and almighty, awesome God with a holy recognition of who he is and in our place before him. That we are just this insignificant speck. That we are here today, gone tomorrow. And here we are before the eternal God of the universe. May we recognize our place before him. I was watching this video uh, a couple years ago from Google. And it's this video about the solar system and about the body. And I think it's actually advertising a, a Google camera or something like that. But it starts off looking at a person... And then it just starts slowly zooming out, zooming out, zooming out, zooming out until you're in the solar system and, and you're able to see all of Earth and all the planets. And then you're able to see the galaxy and then you're zooming out and seeing other galaxies. And, you know, it's using different pictures from Hubble telescope or whatever, zooming out, zooming out. And as it's going out, you as you're watching the video, you can't help but feel very, very small. That here you are, and as, as the camera angle just keeps zooming out, Earth not only becomes a little speck, but our solar system becomes a very small speck. And then the Milky Way galaxy becomes a very small speck in light of all the other galaxies. And then you recognize that you are just a very small and insignificant part of what is going on in the whole universe. You're, you're just a tiny little speck of a speck. And, and it's that position that I think maybe would be good for us to keep in mind when we come before our recognition of God. The, the, the one who is the star breather, the one who creates the universe by his spoken word, the one who rules over all creation is sovereign. He is the God. That we come before. Does that matter to you? Does that change how you live? To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Friends, when we stop and recognize who God is, it can't not change us. It, it can't not have an effect. For, for Jude, as he stops and, and, and just concludes his letter after writing about all the other things that are going on, the only thing left to say is a statement recognizing who God is. God, to you be all glory, to you be all majesty, to you be all dominion and authority. God, you are over all things you have before all time. You are now, you are forever. And so all of the problems that we think are so big, all of the issues, the complacency and the apathy of this Jewish Christian community, the problems of ungodliness in the world, in the grand scheme of eternity, these things 
are, that seem so weighty and big in our minds are set in a whole different perspective when we come before a God who is sovereign. When we come before a God who rules and reigns over everything, it sets all of those other things in such a periphery and in such an other zone for us. And so here's the application for you when you think about this. My hope and prayer for you as a pastor is that as we live in this world today, broken and devastated by sin, we look around us and we see injustice. We look around us and we see destruction. We look around us and we see corruption. We see people going after their own ways. We see ungodliness, just like in Jude's day. We see problems in the church. We see leaders, spiritual leaders who have fallen. We see fractions. We see deceit sometimes, even amongst Christian communities. We see sin and brokenness right in front of us. Apathy and complacency. Some of the same kind of things that Jude identifies in his letter. And friends, here's my plea for you as a pastor. My plea for you is that instead of getting caught up in all of those things, as important as they are, they are important, and as, as significant as they seem, that as you engage with the world that we live in, as you engage with God's church, that you would first and foremost receive his invitation to come before him by faith, to recognize who he is, that he is the sovereign king of the universe. That he is the one who is in charge of all things, in control of all things, knows the end from the beginning, and is working out his own will and justice in the lives of his creation. And that you just pause and rest in that. It can be so easy for us to live in fear. It can be so easy for us to live in uncertainty and doubt and in confusion. And when we live a life of doxology, a life of praise, a recognition of who God is, it changes everything. And I invite you to that today. I invite you to come and to live a life of praise. To stand before God and say, God, I don't know everything. I don't know the end from the beginning. I don't know why all these things are happening in the world today. But this much I do know. That you are an awesome God. That you reign from heaven above with wisdom, power, and strength, our God is an awesome God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would impress in our hearts, God, a heart of doxology, a heart of praise, a heart of recognition of who you are, the, the, the God who is supreme above all things, and that we would come before you and recognize our place, that we're not obligated or entitled by you to, to come and do something, but that you choose to come and do a work because you love us, you care for us, and that you would help us to rest in that. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to God's Word for today. If you are impacted by the message you heard, please consider donating to the Ministry of Living Word Lutheran Church by visiting www.livingwordaflc.org.